Good morning and welcome to each one of you this morning. Already been a blessing to be here this morning. I appreciate the things we have heard from all nations. And uh, I was kind of surprised. We go as a family, we go through State College, just south of State College every year here for the last number of years. As a family get together, I never realized there was anything like that. <laughs> to me, State College is a football game, right? But uh, so, yes, it was very interesting to listen to what you had to share with us this morning. One thing the brother commented on that I am a firm believer in, and uh, just in passing, he made note of the fact that basically that you have to understand the Old Testament before you can really understand the new. And the Old Testament points to Jesus over and over and over. And then, like he said, John comes along and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. If you didn't understand what was happening before, it would be a little hard to understand what John was saying there. Brethren and sisters, read and study the Old Testament and learn from it. I trust that you do. Um... I'm going to one of the Old Testament books this morning, a book that I'd like to see a raise of hands of how many of you have read the entire book. And then I would also like to ask how many of you have studied the entire book. Anyone want to guess which one it is? Since I worded it that way. (laughs) The Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon has a lot of things in it for us that I think especially, I believe, as husbands and wives to look at and to understand. Spurgeon has said, Charles Spurgeon said, the historical books I may compare to the outer courts of the temple, the gospels, the epistles, and the psalms bring us into the holy place or the court of the priest. But the Song of Solomon is the most holy book. The holy of holies perform before which the veil still hangs to many on an untaught believer. Is the veil of the Old Testament still, and maybe especially of this book and others, is there a veil there that we truly don't understand and are untaught? I trust that we're not. But I'd like to go to just one verse in the second chapter of the Song of Solomon. Now, Dwight, you notice that Dwayne said well, our lunch is this afternoon, so. It, which can be any time after 12 o'clock, right? The Song of Solomon describes King Solomon's love for a Shulamite girl. Solomon, as a young man, he comes in disguise, I believe, to the Shulamite's family's vineyard. He wins her heart and ultimately makes her his bride. And in chapter 2, the the girl described a recent happy visit, I believe, that was paid by Solomon one day in the spring of the year. The reason we know that it was spring was because the way she talks about the the grapes and, and the things that are growing. But even this marriage relationship had its share of problems. Why would a relationship like this, a a king, a great king, and this girl. Why would they have problems? 
because they're human. Because they're human. It doesn't matter who we are, we can have problems. And they did. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Each of them is still a human being with a sin-prone heart, just like you and I are. Each one did things that hurt the other. And each one felt hurt in some way. Chapters 3 and 5 include examples of this, but we won't go into that. It was the issue, or we'll find in verse 15, it talks about little foxes that were spoiling their otherwise happy relationship. You know, small issues become a big, or can become a big issue or a big hindrance to an otherwise happy relationship. In pursuit of total oneness, there still are many times there are problems. And in in verse 15, you will find that it says, Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine, for our vines have tender grapes. In other words, again, the shoots were coming out in the spring. Now, the term there, take us the foxes, again, if you would go to the Hebrew, it would say, catch us the foxes, or take a hold of the foxes. The job of catching foxes is teamwork. It usually takes two to catch foxes. One partner in the relationship can't expect the other one to do it all. Now, children, we're talking about foxes this morning. Who was called a fox in the New Testament? Anyone? I said children. How about adults? Can any of the adults tell me who it was? Herod in Luke 13. He was called a fox. Ezekiel talks about false prophets being a fox. They're like foxes. They are cowardly, crafty, cruel, and greedy. So foxes are something that can cause a lot of problems. And you don't have to know much about foxes or even about vineyards in order to understand the verse that I just read in in 2.15. Now, foxes are mostly meat eaters. They eat mice and rabbits and birds, but they also eat fruit. Not only foxes do that. We've had a real problem in the last couple years with our grapes of raccoons just totally and they do just like we do. They take the center out and spit the, and we'd find them all over. And finally, I figured out this is coons. But foxes do the same thing. There are a lot of grape vineyards in Israel, and also a lot of foxes. So children, again, who caught 300 foxes and tied their tails together in the Old Testament? Boy, you're sleeping this morning. Oh, I'm sorry. Samson. Didn't see your hand. Sorry about that. Samson did. So again, we have different stories, different foxes in the Bible. In the early spring, the foxes bite off the new shoots. They also chew away at the roots or maybe have their dens even in there. 
And if they don't kill the vines, sometimes they eat the fruit as it develops, as I just talked about. That's why foxes are considered just really pesky animals. And the grape growers constantly had to catch them to kill them off. There's an unending warfare against the foxes in the Bible. Which, this morning, I had to think of it, this new fallen snow. As a teenager, and I'll let you figure out when that was, three of us boys, a couple of my buddies and I, we went fox hunting. That was something that we did a lot back then. We'd surround sections sometimes and drive into the middle section. But this time, just the three of us, in a new fallen snow like this here, started tracking a fox one Saturday, and we tracked him through the snow, and we went, I, I, I told Carolyn this morning, I think we walked a couple miles. But in the process of that, as we were walking west, I, I could show you the field today yet, west of Napanee, but we were walking west, and all at once that trail went like this. And the first thing we knew, we were going back within 50 feet of where we had just come from. That little guy actually snuck back past us within eyesight. Long story short, we did catch him in a ditch bank, and we dug him out, and we got our $15 bounty because that's what it was back then. But that's the way foxes are. They're very sneaky. They're very uh, pesky little animals that, that can make a lot of problems, and they're very smart. Very, very smart little guys. Now, when you think about it, a little fox doesn't seem all that dangerous. Foxes are small animals. But like I was just saying, they're quick, they're skillful, they're not strong like a coyote, nor are they dangerous like a bear or something bigger. But he's capable of doing a lot of damage. Now, the point of the verses in Song of Solomon 2.15 is that just as Solomon and the Shulamite girl here were beginning to enjoy each other's company, it appears like she received word that foxes had gotten into the family vineyard and she had to leave and tend to the problem. Now, the little foxes are an example of the kinds of problems which can disturb or they can destroy a good relationship. And these simple words here from Song of Solomon, get right to the heart of the whole matter of spiritual growth, especially in the, in the matter of interpersonal relationships. So what chews away at our lives? What hinders our marriages? What tarnishes our testimony as a congregation? What most often doesn't seem like a gross evil or some deep, dark sin. More likely is like a few little foxes that are running loose and they can do a lot of destructive damage. We need to catch and get rid of them. This morning, I'd like to look at a few of these little foxes. In fact, I'd like to look at four different areas, and I'm sure as we go through this, you can think of a lot of other different areas, but four of them that were brought to my attention. The Bible says that the, uh, well, the first one is 
the fox of self-centeredness. The fox of self-centeredness. And the Bible says that the human will is determined to serve itself, to please itself, and to exalt itself. And one of the marks of society in the days just before Jesus returns is that men shall be lovers of their own selves, 2 Timothy 3.2. Very familiar verse. They shall be lovers of their own selves. So self-centeredness may only be a little fox, but it can cause a tremendous amount of damage to life, to a marriage, to a family, and even to a church. But what's so bad about it? What's so bad about self-centeredness? After all, we tend to think that it's not a terrible sin, like maybe child abuse or adultery or taking a human life. It's just, it's just a little thing. It doesn't amount to much. But you know, it can turn into some big things real quick. The me first attitude is just a simple, common weakness. Call it pride or ambition or egotism, it's only a little fox. It's not a big rampaging elephant or something like that there. Yet a lot of damage can be done by a self-centered spirit. The self-centered spirit is like a character of a story that I've seen that was written years ago. It says, Edith, Edith was a little world bounded on the north, the south, the east, in the West, by Edith. Did you catch that? Change the name to Sam or George or whatever you want. It makes no difference. The all-controlling attitude of me first, but not only first, also me last, and me always. I count. Nobody else does. What I do is right. What others do is questionable. When I'm sick, people ought to make a fuss over me. When I'm in the hospital, not enough people come to visit me. After church service, hardly anybody talks to me. You catch all the me's and the eyes in there? That's self-centeredness. Years ago, the Gospel Herald printed an article which was entitled, how to be perfectly miserable. Among the list of uh, 20 statements that were there, here are six that apply to what I'm sharing this morning. Number one, if you want to be perfectly miserable, think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Expect to be appreciated. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive a criticism. And never forget a service that you have rendered. Just six things. If you want to be miserable, do those. So the little fox of self-centeredness chews away at our spiritual lives so that we soon become a difficult person to get along with. You know, we need to repent of the sin of self-centeredness 
and deny self, as Matthew 16 tells us, where Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus was very plain there that we need to deny self. It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? We like self. It has a tendency to be within each one of us. But we need to follow Jesus in all aspects of life. And we should purpose to go out of our way to be friendly to others. No matter who they are. And that may be getting harder as we see some of the things that are happening in our world today. But we still have the Bible that we can turn to and see what, it, what we are to, to do. Open the doors for others. Pass a plate. Go the second mile. You know, passing the plate, there's something I've noticed, and I'm just going to share that here. But I have noticed and sitting at tables with other people. Now, if it's just you and your wife, like we are at home, that's one thing. But people don't pass stuff anymore. You have to say, hey, where's the potatoes? They're down there sitting, and everybody's eating the potatoes, but they don't pass them around. Stop and look. Just check that out sometime. It's kind of interesting. I think we're becoming so independent and so self-centered, we're forgetting the other people are at the table also. I'm not trying to make you hungry, by the way. But we need to go the second mile, even for those who don't agree with us. So let's make a point of stop crying about how, the, how others are treating us and realize that we need to... to uh, Show them the love of Christ and, and show them who we truly are. Self-centeredness can make a marriage miserable. It can create a civil war in families. It can bring dis disharmony to a church. It can bring misery into individual lives. And one thing is certain, the more that we deny self and get self out of ourselves, the more room there will be for the Holy Spirit to dwell within. You ever thought about that? We pray for the Holy Spirit to come in, but is self out so that he can come in? Think about that. Number two is a fox called bitterness. This little fox is also able to do untold damage. Again, it may not impress us as being anything too serious, but it's bitterness is something that can just be give a lot of problems. Is it so wrong to have just a little bit of bitterness and a critical spirit? But it's not a harmless little fault. The writer of Hebrews says, look diligently lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Hebrews 12.15. Again, very clear. Look diligently, and that word was already given to us this morning, lest any root of bitterness, because many can be defiled by that one little bit. So bitterness, resentment, an angry, negative, hostile spirit, that kind of attitude eats away to the, 
It's, it's almost like an acid to the heart of good relationships between people because it's going to destroy him. It brings with it jealousy, bickering, and controversy. Bitterness is a sin of tremendous proportions. Story is told about a father and two sons. I'm going to give this as short as I can remember it because it's, it was a long account. But the father and two sons who, and they were twin sons, and they had a business, and they, the twins dressed alike, they looked alike, they did everything together. They went through school, they took over their dad's business, and they, the community looked at them, and this was just an ideal situation, how these father, and especially these twin sons, worked together, and how they, the testimony that they gave. But one day, a person came in to buy something, and, and what, what the twins ended up doing is dividing, this, dividing the business, and one had one part and one had the other, but they worked together. It almost seems like it was in the same building. And the one person sold something to, the, to a man that had come in, and while he laid it on the cash register, laid the money on the cash register, and walked him to the front door, and they were talking, and when he came back, the money wasn't there. And he thought, well, did I put it in the cash register or didn't I? So he asked his twin brother, did you put it in the cash register? And he said, no. He said, he didn't put it in the cash register. Well, the first brother knew that the money had been there, and so he asked again. He said, are you sure you didn't pick up the money or put it in the cash register? The other one said, no, I didn't do that. You see what's happening already? (laughs) This went on for years. They finally split. They wouldn't even talk to each other. This became a big deal between them. And 20, 30 years later, a man came in one day and asked him how long he'd owned the store. And he said, well, we've owned it for so many years. And he said, well, then you're just the man I want to talk to. He said, a number of years ago, I was through here. I got off the train, and, and I was looking for something to eat, and I was walking down the alley here, and I seen through the open door some money laying on the cash register, so I picked it up. I became a Christian since then, and I want to come back, and I want to make those things right. By this time, the first man is crying. He said, you need to come over in the other part of the store and tell my brother this story. Now, I don't know which one the man came to, But anyway, this money that neither one of them was responsible for in a sense because it had been taken became an issue that caused all kinds of problems. And in the end, yes, they were reconciled. But it was neither one's fault. See what can happen? And this was between two twin brothers. It can happen in a lot of different ways and a lot of different things. I trust that we can stop and think when those things come up, things like that there. And you can probably think of other things. You know, our churches can have people like that. They can have people who harbor resentment, perhaps not as dramatic as this particular story. But the resentment is still there, and it involves one person against another, one family against another. And feelings of bitterness because of resentment, because of somebody was hurt, somebody was wounded. The disagreements are sometimes over inheritance money, differences over theological convictions, jealousy over things that 
a couple years from now will be meaningless. Won't make it make it make any difference. I would just pray that God would deliver us from being bitter and resentful because I have seen so many times that that can just drive wedges into all kinds of homes and families and individuals. So let's catch that little fox of bitterness and let it not invade our lives. Number three is a fox called unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. It's an act of granting pardon to a person in spite of his remarks, in spite of his shortcomings, in spite of his errors. Forgiveness in the Bible refers both to God's pardon of our sins and also to our willingness to release, give release to others who wrong us. We are to forgive others even as God has forgiven us. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. In Luke 6.37, Jesus says, Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. So for God has forgiven us much more than what we can fathom. Have you ever thought about that, what he has forgiven us of? And therefore, we should never withhold forgiveness from those who wrong us. And yet it's not always easy to forgive, is it? It's not easy to forgive the man who maybe sells drugs or something to someone you know, hopefully none of our children. Or the church member who talks about, about you behind your back. But we must do it. We must forgive. Every time we recite the Lord's Prayer, we say what? Somebody say it. Correct. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So if we don't forgive our debtors, God is not obligated to forgive us. Is that what that's saying? So if we want God to forgive our sins, we must be willing to forgive those who sin against us. And to be forgiven by God, and each one of us desperately needs God's forgiveness. We must forgive and even show kindness to that person that who has wronged us. And that's not easy. That's not easy, but that's what God wants of us. And then the Lord will give us special grace, I believe, to do that if we truly want to forgive. Now, to forgive one, uh, someone does not mean that we excuse the sin. Don't get me wrong. We're not to excuse the sin. True forgiveness does end. Not true forgiveness does end bitterness, anger, and resentment, which frequently build up following something that has happened. But it has to be true forgiveness before we can be released of that bitterness or anger that we may have had through that. To forgive, like I said, does not ignore the wrong. But forgiveness does mean we value the relationship more than the problem or the hurt that it has caused. True forgiveness does not mean that we forget. But it does mean we choose not to dwell on the offense. 
And sometimes there's reminders, lingering reminders that we can't control. There's going to be scars that will not soon be forgotten. Forgiveness means that we re-release the desire for revenge to the Lord. Forgiveness means we release the desire for revenge and we give that over to the Lord. Number four, and the last one I have, is a fox called thoughtlessness. Thoughtlessness. That's a lack of sensitivity to the feeling of others. Do you care about what others feel? In Genesis 40, we read about the butler and the baker, both of whom were in the same prison where Joseph was at. And both of them had a dream, remember? And they were disturbed about their dream, and Joseph told them what their dream was about. He said that within three days, the king will call on both of them. The baker will die, the butler will be spared. And then Joseph pleaded with the butler. He said, "By uh, when you are released, please remind Pharaoh that I am here in jail and that I did nothing to deserve this sentence. Please remember me. And just as Joseph had prophesied, this happened. They were called before the king, and the baker was put to death, and the butler was restored to his former position. But Genesis 4.23 says that the butler promptly forgot all about Joseph, never giving him a thought. The butler was thoughtless. The butler was thoughtless. Thoughtlessness can lead to terrible regret. All of you know, or most of you know, that I mow cemeteries. I'm amazed at the amount of people that come out all hours of the day and sit on a grave for hours. Now, I have no idea what some of those are doing, but I have often had to wonder, Are they going out there and are they apologizing? Are they trying to make things right for something they should have done when the person was alive? What am I doing? What are you doing or not doing that we should be doing now to our spouses, to our families, to whomever, that after they're gone, we're going to say, oh, I regret that I didn't do it. Thoughtlessness, it can lead to terrible regret. Is there something you want to tell someone that you love? Don't thoughtlessly wait till it's too late. Don't wait till it's too late. I hope the message today will challenge all of us to fight more vigorously against the little foxes that spoil our lives. Little foxes that include, like I said, self-centeredness, bitterness, unforgiveness, and thoughtlessness. And I'm sure that you've thought of some others. Foxes, like I said, are sly little creatures. They creep up on their prey without being noticed. Many of us do not recognize the little foxes that are hindering and ultimately damaging in our relationships with the Lord, our spouses, other individuals. 
We have to guard against those little foxes and catch them before it's too late and the damage is done. It can't be, or it could be, that the first step we need to take in this area maybe is to apologize to a wife or family or husband. Maybe telephone an offended brother that you can't really walk up to and speak to. Visit a person that you need to visit for whatever reason. But if we give diligence to drive out the little foxes, our lives will be more fruitful gardens and the grapes will be able to grow and people will benefit and it will all be for the glory of God. So I trust this morning, next time something like that happens, let's remember the little foxes that can do so much damage and yet are often so unnoticed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the great God that you are. Father, we are sinful people. We are born in sin. We need to repent of a lot of things that we do that we often don't even think about. Father, help us to be mindful, to let your word guide and direct us. Your Holy Spirit will then direct us to take care that we don't allow things to come into our lives that hinder not only our lives, but lives of others. So, Father, as we come to you this morning, we just thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness that you gave us when you shed your precious blood upon the cross of Calvary so that each one of us could come to you in a perfect relationship. So, Father, help us to be mindful of that. So we would just pray that you would bless each one that is here this morning. Help us that we might continue to honor and to glorify you in our lives as you would lead us on into whatever area of life that you call us into. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.